Hello and welcome to episode 38 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. I'm so glad you've joined me today. This is pretty much a follow-up on last week's episode about winter preparation. And this one is the deep dive into insulation. Um, it is a more complicated topic than it sounds like. I've had several listeners on the Facebook page to ask me to talk about this. And one listener asked me to the question was phrased so technically regarding convection and condensation that I thought, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can answer in this, in the, uh, as good as the question was, but I found this article online that you can read also, but I'll read it to you if you want, um, in Bee Culture Magazine from 2016, that really goes into a lot of the technicalities about what is going on in a bee cluster and what are the pros and cons of insulation and the pros and cons of uh, ventilation. I should say the amount of ventilation because obviously you want some. Um, But first, I want to say thank you to the new patrons who have uh, extended me some some faith over at the Patreon page because I don't have much up yet, but they have already signed on as patrons. And again, that's patreon.com slash fiveapple, and F-I-V-E is spelled out. But I want to say thank you to Jeff, Chris, Michael in South Carolina, Mark Smith in North Carolina, Deborah Palmer, who I know is in Georgia, Mandy Shaw, who I believe is out in Oregon, Mandy. Mandy's one of my favorite podcast hosts with Beekeeper Confidential, and Darla Luke. These are the new patrons this week, and I appreciate um, that show of faith and support for this podcast. I can't tell you how much it means. I also love hearing from you guys when you write on the Facebook page. Um, Five Apple Farm, Bees, Honey, and more. Anyway, it it all really matters to me, and I want to say thank you. So, the show notes for this show, available to everyone over at patreon.com slash fiveapple, uh, has the link to this article. If you are a visual person, you may just want to read it. It's got good pictures. Um, and then there will also be bonus a bonus post with additional links that I came across while researching Um, this topic and those will be for the Patreons. Also for, I always say Patreon, for the patrons on Patreon. There will also be a bonus podcast for the patrons and I'm going to talk all about the observation hive. Yes, I have bees in the house now. I love it. It is so interesting. I feel like I have learned stuff already. Um, One of the most fascinating things is you wouldn't believe how loud those little guys are. So I'll talk all about that on a bonus podcast to say thank you for the patrons. And that appears on the Patreon page. So anyway, this whole thing about insulating beehives in the winter. Um, The sort of pop psychology version is, oh, yeah, they don't need insulation. Bees can survive the cold. They have no problem. They, you know, you just have to have all this ventilation, this big airflow flowing through the hive to get rid of the moisture of their... um, basically their exhalations and the condensation which can drip on bees and wet bees dies cold bees don't this is the the standard arguments against um, insulating hives but I will tell you from a personal perspective um, I do insulate my hives 
not all of them all the time, but particularly my smaller ones. As you guys know, I do a lot of um, overwintering of smallish nukes that I've raised late in the summer. Of course, the tiniest ones are about to go in the barn, and I, I really am going to get to that. But um, I have found a striking difference in survival rates in my smallish hives if I insulate. Um, and I've been made fun of by beekeepers, like in particular one from Vermont, <laughs> not Michael Palmer, not any of the Michaels, but uh, another uh, well-known beekeeper from Vermont chuckled uh, when I asked a question at a uh, sh at a class one time about insulating here in North Carolina about, you know, we don't need insulation in Vermont, so why on earth would you need insulation in North Carolina? And at the same time, I was dealing with my own experience of what I was seeing with my own eyes that I got better survival rates with some insulation and so since then I have I've found out some uh, some some data and uh, some studies and it's it's not that simple and I, I actually believe that Vermont beekeeper was it was approaching it pretty simply um, and there's a lot of things there's a lot of um, balls in the air when it comes to um, insulation now first of all okay this is a summation this following couple sentences sums up the entire insulation debate. Insulation done right, it's all pros, no cons. Insulation done wrong is all cons, no pros. Um, and so it really does have to be done right. And this article that I'm going to read you talks a lot about that. But one of the things, I came across a study out of Colorado, and this will be on the bonus post, of uh, this fellow who's, I think, actually a physicist <laughs> and who really went into the math and the numbers on um, what's happening uh, in the hive. But but this was the interesting part to me. He specifically mentioned the whole polar vortex thing. And I don't know if you're a weather geek, but I only have ever heard about a polar vortex in the past several years, at least down, you know, closer in the south of where I've lived. But that's, uh, it's where the um, due to some some changes up in the Arctic where the jet stream becomes less strong and kind of dips and it pulls this super cold air down into the middle of the United States and that that normally doesn't get that type of cold air but what's really deadly about it for the bees and I loved it that this Colorado fellow had the numbers I mean he had basically correlated bee survival rates in uh, his part of Colorado with the whole um, occurrences of polar vortexes and it, it's not just how cold it gets but the thing that hurts them and this had been my gut feeling and I, I just don't you just love it when you have a gut feeling and then you find the the study that um, backs that up well, I know you're supposed to find several studies but anyway this was, was exciting to me because basically he correlated that survival rate with the absence of, of um, uh, polar vortexes and then when they had them they had worse survival rate which makes sense but it's not so much from the the lowest temperature that the bees encounter but from his work it is from the suddenness of the drop and this is what I had thought about what in the mountains a lot a lot of times kind of like parts of the Midwest um, that are typically colder than here but we can get these sudden drops um, in, in temperature 
and he had correlated it and and it's even more dramatic out in Colorado of of um you know 50 and 60 degree drops in temperature in under 72 hours and so what happens with that is basically the bees don't have time to get prepared and they they um, they have a whole preparation process for cold weather and if it's been kind of not so bad not so bad not so bad and then all of a sudden in the matter of two days um, the temperature plummets like that they're not always ready they're not always in the right spot in the hive and I have found that in in my colonies that we don't really in North in the mountains of North Carolina we don't have the kind of cold where they just get usually you know usually get stuck in a spot and can't move to get honey but how they do get stuck in a spot is if we have a stretch of kind of warm balmy weather they start raising some brood this is particularly in late winter early spring they start raising some brood we get a polar vortex the temperature plummets they will not leave that brood they stick right there and they either freeze or starve you know depending on the number of bees so I've become a believer in um, in insulation that's just me and I would encourage you to do the research particularly on your particular um, microclimate and and see what you think and above all as with all things beekeeping you know, don't just go with the first easy answer that you find. You know, see if that gels with other things that you've studied and read. And um, after you've been in a few years, you know, check it against your own experience. And don't don't go against your own experience. Um, you know, kind of err on the side of what you've proven to be true in your in your own yard. Would be my advice after you get some experience. Now I'll tell you the thing that sold me. Now I had read some articles and I'd you know about R values and all this kind of stuff but the simple thing that sold me on insulation was when I really stopped and pondered of what are bees where are where are they naturally adapted in you know in um, European climates mostly but in North America too to living on their own and that is in a hollow tree typically now you've got those that are living in your attic or your wall but the hollow tree in the forest is sort of the classic natural setting um, for uh, bees in temperate climates. And a hollow tree um, is much thicker than a Langstroth box for sure and much thicker than most boxes built out of lumber. And um, the other thing about a tree is that it has a lot of insulation above and be, uh, below the cluster and there's also an absorbency factor. You think of a hollowed out tree, it's what my grandma used to call punky wood <laughs> on the inside. You know, maybe that a woodpecker or something is hollowed out. And so um, it's, it's absorbent in places, but remember that the bees coat everything, if they're allowed to, with propolis, which is water resistant. So they make their own little capsule in there and um, it, the effects of that capsule on the air movement and the heat loss are very, very different from a typical um, hive. So that was the part that started me thinking that this whole, oh, bees don't need insulation um, is not entirely uh, correct. So without further ado, I will get into the reading. Um, again, the notes are going to be at patreon.com slash 5apple if you want to just read this off the page, and it's available for free at bculture.com. Um, and my plug for subscribing to your bee journals, uh, because 
you would have already read this. If you, if you are a subscriber, you may have already read this, but I want to bring it back to your attention. I want to apologize in advance for my voice quality. I may be coming down with a cold or else just the allergies have gotten a little worse, but it's not the best, and I apologize for that. I'll try to get back on back in the saddle. Thanks so much, and here's the reading. So this is the reading I wanted to share with you, Winter Management by William Hesbach, and this is from uh, Bee Culture Magazine. It's beeculture.com. You can find it online, and it is October 21st, 2016 is the date on that. It is a, a good article, I think, an overview. Evolution has provided honeybees with an extraordinary ability to thermoregulate and survive in a cold climate. During winter, bees cluster in a configuration that has a dense outer layer of older bees, sometimes referred to as a mantle, covering an inner core of more loosely packed younger bees. The cluster responds to changes in temperature by expanding to dissipate heat and contracting to conserve heat. Bees can precisely position their bodies in layers so their thoracic hairs interlace. Since a bee's hair has similar properties to down, bees resist heat loss and their layered bodies close off ventilation through the cluster and between the combs. As an interlaced cluster, they form a naturally efficient insulation cooperative. And there's a great photo, an infrared photo, um, and it's of the hive with that glowing orb in the inside. It says the bright yellow indicates the warmest part of the center of the cluster. Away from the center, the color darkens as the temperature is lower. I apologize for my voice today, um, but this is what I've got, so here we go. As the body temperature of the mantle bees fall, they generate heat by using their indirect flight muscles to shiver. While shivering, bees are using fuel, oxygen, and exhaling carbon dioxide. Their respiration, in combination with reduced ventilation, creates an environment with increased carbon dioxide and reduced levels of oxygen. Both of these conditions would be toxic to humans, but to bees these alterations are intentional. The changed environment around the cluster induces the bees into an ultra-low metabolic rate, which conserves energy and traps some needed humidity. There's also research indicating that a higher level of carbon dioxide increases the mortality of wintering varroa. The temperature of bees in a cluster are regulated in three different ways. First by conduction, because they are touching, then by radiant heat from bees nearby, and finally with convection via, via air movement. When bees cluster tight and shiver, the heat they generate reaches down to the core. At the core, the temperature would continue to increase until the cluster overheats, but instead the younger bees at the center expand and loosen the core, allowing excess heat to flow back to the outer layers of the mantle. In this way, the heat being generated in the mantle layers is equalized and distributed by the action of the younger bees at the core. Ultimately, the heat dissipates from the mantle's surface into the convective airflow around the cluster. 
Heat dissipation plays an important role in understanding how the size of the cluster matters to heat loss and winter survival. The larger the cluster, the less the surface area represents the total mass of the cluster. The opposite is also true, and in a small cluster, the surface bees represent more of the cluster's mass. To understand this better, visualize a cluster of just one bee. In a one bee cluster, 100% of the surface area and 100% of the cluster's mass is represented in the single bee. Convective flow around that one bee will also cool the entire mass of the cluster because they're one and the same. If we add another bee, the cluster's mass is doubled, but the surface area is not increased by the same amount. As we continue to add bees, the surface area becomes less and less representative of the total mass of the cluster. The surface area is crisp sorry, critical, because that's where heat dissipates. And if that surface represents less of the cluster's mass, the cluster can retain more heat and stay warmer. It's why a dog or a cat curls in a ball to sleep. They're protecting their core temperature by reducing the surface area exposed to cooling. Maintaining core temperature is the key to winter survival and is also where insulation makes a critical difference. Okay, thanks for sticking with all that because here's where it gets kind of interesting to me. How insulation works. As beekeepers, we can't control thermoregulation, but we can influence heat loss in two significant ways. We can manage the convective flow by keeping the air as still as possible around the cluster, and we can add insulation to the hive body to help conserve some of the heat. To aid in understanding how insulation and air temperature play a role in overwintering colonies, it may help to visualize the cluster as if it were a standalone hot water tank. Water inside is maintained at a steady temperature, and the amount of fuel used to heat that water depends on both the heat lost to the surrounding environment and the insulation quality of the tank. If you want to save money on heating fuel, the first thing you're advised to do is insulate the tank. The reason insulation conserves fuel is because it resists the natural movement of heat to cold, and therefore the heat that's generated takes longer to migrate away. The same thermal transfer takes place in a bee cluster, and the same conservation of heat applies when you add insulation around a hive. In a natural bee cavity, like a tree trunk, insulation is provided by the surrounding mass of the tree. Above and below the colony is an almost infinite amount of insulation, and the outside walls can be virtually any thickness, but more typically range from three to five inches. According to universally accepted standards, soft pine offers an R value of about 1.12 per inch. Therefore, the 3 4 inch pine boxes we typically use provide an R value of about 0.84. Conversely, a colony surrounded by 5 inches of wood in a natural softwood tree benefits from an R value of about 5.6, or about 6 times the insulation quality of a typical bee box, and that's just the outside walls. And there's a photo here. They have a... Um, a standard Langstroth box of, of uh, standard pie, you know, the usual thickness is what I'm trying to say, propped up against 
a section of log, of hollowed out log of a tree trunk. And um, it's pretty impressive. I mean, just think about it. You know, a, a section of hollowed out log. Well, anyway, yeah, the picture is pretty convincing of the, the dramatic difference between those two. And um, I'm I'm sure you'll hear in the other part of this uh, podcast that that's, that was the, that sealed the deal for me about insulation. So anyway, okay, back to the article. The real contrast in R value is evident when you compare the insulation quality of what a tree provides above and below the cluster. A typical commercial box sits on an open bottom board, which offers little or no insulation value below the cluster. Above, the combination of an inner cover and a telescoping cover provides some insulation, but not much. Also, if the inner cover has a bee escape hole with a notch to the outside rim, or an upper entrance, the insulation value is near zero. That's a problem, and especially on top, where warm, moist air will accumulate. If that warm, moist air meets a thin, cold surface or an open bee escape hole, it will condense and dump cold liquid back onto the cluster. Bees can tolerate extremely low temperatures while dry, but if you wet them in cold temperatures, they will die. In a recent study, researcher Derek Mitchell went beyond simple R-value calculations and used his physics backgrounds to apply known thermal mass calculations to compare the heat transfer, or loss, of a tree to that of a man-made hive. His research indicates that the thin man-made box will lose four to seven times more heat than a typical tree colony, and that some behaviors may be driven by that fact. Quote, Many honeybee behaviors, previously thought to be intrinsic, may only be a coping mechanism for human intervention. For example, clustering in a tree enclosure may be an optional, rare heat conservation behavior for established colonies, rather than the compulsory, frequent, life-saving behavior that it is in the hives of common use. The implied improved survival in hives with thermal properties of tree nests may help solve some of the problems honeybees are currently facing in apiculture. End quote. Mitchell makes a strong case for adding insulation to an overwintering colony, but he also makes the case for a more year-round insulation. Mitchell's hardly the first to consider the differences between trees and thin pine boxes. Langstroth's first hive was double-walled, and he advocated filling the dead air space between them with a non-conductive material like charcoal and salt or sawdust, quote, to enable the bees to preserve with the least waste their animal heat, end quote. Some manufacturers recognize the need for more insulation, and today we're seeing hive bodies offered in lightweight insulating materials like high-density polystyrene. Polystyrene boxes have been used in Europe for many decades, and the characteristics are well documented. But in the U.S., wooden boxes dominate, and there seems to be a lingering discussion about the need for adding insulation. Arguments against insulation. insulation. There are a few standard arguments often advanced against insulating. The first being that insulation will make the bees more active at times and use more stores while they're moving around, and that's true. An important thermology study of wintering bees concluded that colonies with insulation have more relaxed clusters, and therefore bees have the ability to move around more when compared to uninsulated colonies. 
but that only allows bees to have greater access to stores and avoid starvation. To the contrary, it's not uncommon to observe that a, starred co a starved colony left behind plenty of honey because it was just too cold for the cluster to move and consume them. And I just want to add a side note here. Um, what I've noticed is that often they can't move because if they move, they'll uncover brood. And so, like here in North Carolina, it rarely gets so cold that you know that they're just stuck in place. However, it is often cold enough that they can't uncover the brood and uh, and move around to get to the honey. Okay, back to the text. Another common objection is that insulation will cause the colony to remain cold as the outside temperature warms and the bees will miss opportunity for cleansing flights on warm winter days. I've heard this called the refrigerator effect. But as the thermology studies document, bees in insulated colonies reacted to changes in outside temperatures at basically the same rate as uninsulated colonies. Bees break cluster based on the temperature of the outside air drawn directly into the cluster, not on the temperature of the hive body or surrounding the honeycombs. Contrary to the belief of some, insulation does not add heat. It only helps contain heat already generated. As such, insulation will not provoke bees to fly when it's cold, causing them to die as they exit the colony they do that with or without insulation. When considering arguments that advance the notion that added insulation will harm your bees, it's important to remember that bees have lived in well-insulated natural cavities for thousands of years. Finally, during a winter when a colony will need almost all the honey it has for survival, insulation can make a critical difference. Even in winters when insulation may not play a significant role in survival, the bees can benefit from less cold stress and emerge in spring healthier. Improving the insulative quality of the habitat we provide our bees is just moving them closer to life in a more natural enclosure. Ventilation in a Langstroth Box Ventilation is both complicated and interesting when wintering bees, and although I've separated the topic from insulation, how you use ventilation will determine the effectiveness of your attempts to insulate. Now, so to either stick with me or come back later to this, because this is really an important part in my opinion. The complicated part is understanding whether it's bees in the cluster that need ventilation, the Langstroth box that's made ventilation necessary or a combination of both. It's always interesting to observe that bees in fall make every attempt to close all the seams and holes in their hive. Are they trying to tell us something? And just a side note here, I, I have seen this to be true. Often um, I, you know, laboriously leave them a, a top entrance and make sure their ventilation and then I go back out and sometimes they have drawn literal curtains. I have, I have had curtains of propolis drawn across a lower entrance that I accidentally left completely open so that when I eventually took it off in the spring, I mean, it was like a handful of propolis that they had drawn to close up that entrance. Back to the article. How convective flow and condensation work. In a bee enclosure where bees are the source of heat, there is a natural convective flow. Heated air has the characteristics of being both 
more buoyant and capable of holding more water vapor than cooler air. As bees breathe and metabolize food, they heat. the heat they generate provides a constant upward convective flow of warm, moist air. What happens next depends on the type of enclosure. In a natural tree cavity, which is a tall cylinder, the moist convective flow reaches the top of the cavity and meets a warm surface with a physical vapor barrier. The warm surface is there because the tree offers, as mentioned earlier, an almost unlimited amount of insulation above the cluster which is resisting heat loss. The vapor barrier is there because the bees have placed water-resistant propolis over the entire inner surface of the cavity. Since the top is warm and heat seeks cold, the warm flow spreads along the top seeking the cooler surfaces of the cylinder walls. Warm, moist air and a cold surface will cause condensation. The condensation happens because as the air's temperature is lowered, it loses its ability to hold water vapor. As the water vapor condenses out and turns liquid, the hive's humidity level is lowered and the process gives back latent heat to the enclosure. It's a perfect balance made better by the fact that the bees select cavities where the entrance is positioned away or lower than the center of the winter cluster, so that any cold air coming in falls to the bottom of the cavity, mostly avoiding the actual cluster. At the bottom, excess humidity remaining in the air in the falling air condenses out into the com composting detritus <laughs> compositing it looks like compositing detritus on the bottom. Also, since the cylinder is long, the cluster has more surface comb to absorb to I'm sorry, more surface comb to allow for a winter position further up in the warmer space as needed. In the thin wooden man-made enclosure, things are much different. We've already discussed the difference in the insulation quality, so what happens in this box follows the same principle of thermodynamics but with a different outcome. For the purpose of comparison, I'll assume an uninsulated box with a typical inner cover and telescoping outer cover. The warm, moist air rises and the first thing it encounters is a thin inner cover where condensation will occur, and in this case, it will occur directly over the cluster. Bees can tolerate cold well below 20 below Fahrenheit, but drip cold water on them at 32 degrees and they die. It is no mystery that having observed this, beekeepers want to ventilate the moist air before that happens. For many decades, beekeepers have devised ways to use the inner cover's conveniently placed porter bee escape hole, that's that kind of oval hole in the very middle, to ventilate all that warm, moist air without regard for consequences of lost heat. What happens when you add ventilation? And again, I want to thank you for sticking with me in my um, not-so-good, maybe fighting off a cold voice this morning. What happens when you add ventilation? Ventilation provides some level of humidity control by directing the cluster's warm convective flow to the outside, but the consequence is the removal of needed heat. A, for a few important questions come to mind. First, as beekeepers, 
we know how to keep condensation levels lo down by adding lots of ventilation. But do we know enough to understand how to balance ventilation with the needs of the wintering bees? The complication arises from the fact that natural humidity levels change in response to many ordinary variables in the daily life of the colony. Therefore, a fixed amount of applied ventilation will not accommodate these natural fluctuations. How much ventilation is required and when to adjust the amount is not known. It is not even definitively known if bees attempt to control humidity or if they just adapt to naturally occurring levels. What is clear is that bees need some of the condensation they generate to hold heat in the enclosure. And we've known for some time that humidity plays a significant role in varroa reproduction. With optimum humidity for reproduction ranging from 55 to 70 percent and only limited reproduction taking place at higher humidity. Uh, and by the way, there's footnotes on all of this uh, when you look up the article. So a real contemporary question is, does added ventilation aid varroa reproduction? The next question is, how much of our current practice of provisioning 60 to 100 pounds of honey per wintering colony, then providing supplemental fondant, and in, fondant, I'm not sure, fondant, uh, and in some cases ending with the need for emergency food, is being driven by removing lots of heat the bees must replace? E.B. Wedmore calculated the amount of honey required to overwinter a measured population of bees in his influential 1947 book, The Ventilation of Beehives. Wedmore converted the, converted the caloric content of honey to watts, and then using wattage, he calculated that the basic needs are about three pounds per month between mid-October and mid-April. Therefore, if Wedmore is correct, and the primary winter honey requirement of an average population of bees are in the range of 21 pounds, it seems like our need to provision winter stores at four times that amount may indicate something about the burden on bees to generate additional heat beyond their basic needs. One obvious reason is the loss of heat by an abundance of added ventilation. There is no question that ventilation is needed, but I think if we could refine our understanding of how much is needed and when, modify our boxes to direct the convective flows away from the cluster's center, and increase insulation around the winter cluster, we could help our bees live healthier, lessen the burden of winter provisioning, and reduce winter losses. Insulation Options When the subject of adding insulation comes up, it invariably starts with wrapping a colony with tar paper. Although tar paper is not insulation because it has no R value, it has historically been used in combination with insulation material as a way to keep them dry. Early use of tar paper included covering leaves or straw after they were packed around the colonies. If you're not interested in insulation and only require a water shield or a windbreak, tar paper will work. But advances in energy-efficient house wrap made of woven polyester designed specifically as moisture and air infiltration barriers are another option. Many commercially available winter wrap systems simplify the process of insulation. These kits offer an inner core of bubble wrap or fiberglass and an outer covering of black plastic. 
Some with a fiberglass core offer R8 insulation. They're simple to install, provide adequate insulation, but are only operating on the vertical box surfaces. The vertical sides represent about 25% of the total heat loss, with the remaining heat exiting from the top. That means that almost 75% of a colony's winter heat loss is unaddressed unless you use commercial side wraps and add insulation to the telescoping cover. One product discussed as insulation is Homosote. Homosote is a mixture of recycled sawdust and new newsprint in combination with insecticides and microcrystalline wax. When it's thoroughly dry, half inch of Homosote has an R value of 1.2. Beekeepers sometimes put homosote over their inner covers to act as insulation and as a moisture collector, but these two functions can oppose each other. Homosote's intended use is in dry building cavities where liquid water or excessive water vapor can become a problem. To combat this, homosote added microcrystalline wax to delay vapor saturation. But since homosote is paper, it will collect moisture, which is an advantage if you're using it for that purpose. But once homosote starts to collect moisture, its R value declines. So if you decide to use homosote as insulation or a moisture collector, consider its properties and use it accordingly. The, quote, moisture boards, quote, sold commercially are made of homosote or a very similar product. If you want insulation approaching the quantity of a natural tree cavity, the best insulator is sheet foam. Sheet foam, sheet foam co comes either as pink extruded polystyrene (XPS) or foil-faced, wow, polysosanitrate. <laughs> I don't know about that one. The foil-faced foam stuff, you know. These insulators resist moisture and provide excellent R value in the range of 5 to 7.5 per inch. Sheet foam's insulation qualities will not degrade in the presence of moisture and therefore will provide constant R value in all conditions. Sheet foams can be fashioned into sleeves that slide over the colony for complete sidewall insulation and sheet foam's biggest advantage is when it's used for both sidewall and top cover insulation. Not all foams are the same. Now I'm going to um, wrap it up here but I really would love for you to go and read this article. I'm going to put the link to um, the article from bculture.com. I'm going to put it on the Patreon page. Everybody can see it. It will be patreon.com slash fiveapple and that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash f-i-v-e-a-p-p-l-e so the show notes will be there also on the patreon um, page there's going to be um, bonus readings on insulation and um, some of the things I found while I was researching this and those are for the uh, for the Patreons as a thank you for your support and if you decide that you can support this podcast via the Patreon page I am so appreciative. Um, so anyway this article uh, goes on to talk about the different foams and foam board is what I indeed uh, use in my apiary after a lot of thought and practice and um, <laughs> experimenting. Uh, so anyway, he goes through 
the details of how to build the sleeve um, and also how to create airspace and how to address ventilation and how to keep the sleeve from sliding down over the cover which is an issue and then it's also got all the end notes or footnotes uh, from the article it's very well done in my opinion and um, while I was researching this topic I found a few other uh, interesting articles and I will have links to those in a different post on Patreon as a thank you to the Patreons so to the patrons on Patreon um, so thank you very much for listening and putting up with this bad voice this morning. I hope I'll, I'll get it back or get over whatever this is shortly, and I'll talk to you soon.